Well, what is that? That is penultimate episode of season one voice. I see. And possibly season two, possibly season three. That might just be penultimate season voice. I guess we'll find out. I guess so. You like how I yawned as I said that? No, I didn't. <laughs> okay. Didn't like it at all. All right. Well, did you like this episode? Uh, kinda. It wasn't my least favorite. It wasn't a super strong episode, but I think we get into it in the episode itself. But I think they did a lot with starting out with so little. Yes. Speaking of least favorite episodes, after the finale, we are going to do a season wrap-up episode. Yes. So you get to hear what our favorite episodes were, our least favorite episodes were. I think you could probably guess what the number one least favorite episode's going to be. If you've listened to all the episodes so far. <laughs> My favorite is going to be the um, the Squeeze slash Tombs rewatch that we do. Oh, are we going to do that? I don't know, maybe. I don't know, maybe either. All right. Don't overpromise, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, so are we doing top three, bottom three? Or five. Depends. Depends on how, how. much time we get out of it. <laughs> all right. Well, if you would like to play along, please tweet us at cast files and let us know your top three or five and bottom three or five favorites and while you're on the computer doing that rate and review us on apple podcasts that's right and or tell a friend phone a friend and tell them that that's not a dated reference that's incorrect don't phone them they will not appreciate it text a friend a link to the podcast (laughs) you millennials and you're texting How do you feel when your phone rings? Uh, nervous. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, Gen X. (laughs) Welcome to the club. (laughs) The only people who call me are just spam calls. Yep. So, and then Riley when his phone wasn't working. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You ready to get into it? No, but let's do it anyway. Okay. Let's go. Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I am Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And we can't waste any time because we dragged it out last time and it went too long. And now we have to go really fast. Oh. Yes. I'm a nerd who somehow never <laughs> seen the X-Files. <laughs> and I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a... Cast Files is something that I've said 23 times so far and cannot remember off the top of my head. <laughs> The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and <laughs> stop laughing at me. <laughs> You're throwing me off with your energy. Your fake energy. Your fake vibe is killing me, man. <sighs> the Cast Files is a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X-Files. Spoiler free. Today, we're talking about season one, episode 23. Don't do that. No? Oh. <sighs> It's hard having a director. It is. Today, we're talking about season one, oh, episode 23, Roland. It originally aired May 6, 1994, to a viewership of 12.5 million people. It was written by Chris Rupenthal and directed by David Nutter, his sixth episode. Ooh, okay. Before we start, Roland is another episode that's language and depictions don't age well. We want to use the appropriate terms, so we confirmed language with the National Disability Authority nda.ie and the National Center on Disability and Journalism, ncdj.org. If we misspeak or get something wrong, we are very open to learning. So please email us at thecastfiles, that's the with two e's, at gmail.com or tweet us at castfiles. The more we know, the better we can do in the future. Well put. Thank you. All right, so IMDb puts this as when scientists at an aeronautics lab die under mysterious circumstances the agents suspect a mentally challenged janitor may be the culprit okay that was imdb is that the correct terminology challenged was a term that neither of those websites included so we don't know one way or the other right oh it was difficult so that is specifically on imdb and i looked specifically for that and unclear excellent yeah So right out of the gates, I couldn't verify a certain thing. (laughs) 
So if you know, again, please let us know. I'm trying to find the details and everything was, some things were really clear and some things were unclear. And language, man, it is fascinating. And fluid. Yes. All right, so the cast, we have Zelichko Ivanek, a.k.a. Roland and Arthur. <gasps> Spoilers. Just kidding, they're twins. <laughs> you may know him from three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. If you just want to be punched in the gut for three hours. <laughs> just over and over again. Or My Brother's Keeper. Okay. That That's seems... appropriate. Right. Nicole Mercurio, a.k.a. Mrs. Stody. You may know her from Wrestling Ernest Hemingway, which just sounds super fun. Wrestling Ernest Hemingway or the movie? Actually, neither. Uh, have you, you've been to Key West once, right? Yeah. And they have a Hemingway Fest with Hemingway lookalikes. So when I read this, my mental image was that in Key West, the Hemingway lookalikes, then also wrestling, but like silly wrestling. Uh-huh. And so that sounds really fun to me. That uh-huh. specifically. Yeah, well, give me 20 years. I'll be in that Hemingway lookalike contest. <gasps> Will you wrestle <laughs> another Ernest Hemingway? No, just you. Oh. So you can say that you're wrestling Ernest Hemingway. Okay, that's fair. Uh, she's also in a movie called Safe Harbor. Which is fitting. I don't She's the lady that has the house. Okay. Gotcha. Carrie Sandomirsky, a.k.a. Tracy. She was in Poltergeist, The Legacy, <laughs> the TV series, which I thought was fitting for spooky season. And Touching Evil, which is kind of appropriate. I tried to find one appropriate for, for each. Gary Davy, a.k.a. Dr. Keats, was in Highlander. Ooh, wow. The series? Highlander. Okay. Did you hear how I didn't say half of those letters? I didn't, because you didn't say half of them. You're right. You'll hear it. You'll play it 14 times while you're editing out loud, so I have to listen to myself say Highlander. (laughs) (laughs) And the Survivor's Club TV movie. James Sloyan, a.k.a. Dr. Frank Nolette, was in Calendar Girl, comma, cop, comma, Killer? Question mark. The Bambi Bimbanek story. And I also liked to highlight that he was born in Indianapolis. Oh, excellent. You always like to know when somebody's born in Indiana. That's why I recognize him. Oh, because you guys went to high school together? (laughs) I was in high school when he was filming this, so probably not. Matthew Walker, a.k.a. Dr. Roland Cerno was in something called Resurrection, and he played himself. That's interesting. So that's why I put that in there, because what? But then we have to move on, because we have to set up all of the trivia. Before we get into the actual show, let me give you a little bit of backstory. So setup trivia. Director David Nutter felt that casting Zelichko Ivanek was the key to creating the episode, feeling that Roland was probably the weakest script from start to finish. Wow. Yeah, that he had seen the whole time of this whole season. But that once Ivanek had been cast, it became important to push that as much as possible to help outweigh the frailties in the script. Huh. So if he hadn't been cast, director David Nutter feels the whole thing would have been a flop. Also... Zelichko Ivanek was the first actor to read for the part of Roland, and Chris Carter was blown away and decided to almost immediately cast him. Wow. So between, and honestly, I I put this in here because there are a lot of problems with this episode, but his performance was really good as far as being a character. I believed him as a character, and it was interesting to see that Chris Carter and David Nutter were both like, yes. I also, to balance out this whole setup, looked to someone who writes about this more consistently and has a little bit more insight into this whole area. There's a website called Autistic Empath, and she talks about this episode specifically. And one of the things that she does say is that Roland does avoid eye contact almost entirely, and some autistic people can do the human calculator stuff with patterns, So, and that's a cool ability. So she did have plenty of things to say that were incorrect about his character but she said he ultimately especially for the time did a pretty good job in some of his mannerisms so that's good i did feel like 
they were at least trying to treat the characters with respect. I did too. So that helped. Yes. That helped a lot. Yeah. The first viewing when I saw it, I was just cringing. I was like, oh no. But it seemed that they were trying to treat the characters with respect. And that's, I'm not going to say the most important thing, but it's a huge thing. Right. Okay. And the final little bit of trivia before we get into this, because you and I had this conversation off mic. This is the third episode in close proximity in the first season to feature the concept of resurrection in a different body, following The X-Files Lazarus, which was the 15th episode, and The X-Files Born Again, which was the episode of last week. Yeah. And we have some feelings about the resurrection and also magic in The X-Files. But yeah. you're... We went over this last episode and how it just doesn't seem to fit in the universe for us because most of the universe is... Science and bio. Like, sort of based in science. Like, yeah. obviously... Sci-fi. Extra. Science fiction. There you go. Science fiction. Yeah. Not fantasy. Right. Where this stuff goes into the fantasy realm. So, going into the second viewing of this, I decided, okay, I'm just going to have to accept that the fantasy stuff is part of this universe. It, clearly, it's going to be around often enough that we're going to have to just put that in our heads, that the fantasy aspect is part of this universe. So, after I did that, the second viewing of this was not as brutal. Okay. So, I think going forward, I'm going to be able to go along with... Sci-fi fantasy instead of strictly sci-fi? Yeah. Okay. That's just a helpful hint for myself and you. Yes. Okay. So, let's get into it. We start off at the Mahan Propulsion Laboratory, the Washington Institute of Technology in Colson, Washington. The janitor, Roland, is pushing the cleanest broom I have ever seen. You see how clean that broom was? <laughs> no, I was not watching the broom. Oh my goodness. Our broom, I look at half the time and I'm like, how? Because it's not a prop. <laughs> it actually gets used Just, for its He's using purpose. it throughout the whole, this, this scene and several scenes. So clean. Impressive. He's doing a great job. Roland tries to use the keypad and keycard combo, but forgets the order. It's one of those, you have to swipe and push in buttons, or push in buttons and then swipe one or the other, and he can't remember the the combo. Which, literally, everyone, everywhere, has done at some point if you've got that situation. It's not a big deal. Unfortunately, white coat guy, who turns out to be Dr. Keats, arrives at the exact wrong time to belittle Roland and say, See how easy it is? And immediately... I was like, oh, I already know where this episode's going. This is a Flowers for Algernon type thing. <laughs> of course, I was wrong, but that's what I thought. It is what you thought. You were wrong again, and I wrote it down, so I'll point out when you were wrong. Oh, cool. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> it actually, the thing that you said would have, I wrote it down and kept it because it's, an, it's a direction that I kind of wish it had gone. Well, you know, I'm pretty good at this stuff. You know. Inside the room, there is an experiment with a wind tunnel, and one scientist stops the machine before something or other happens. They're talking rocket science language, and you know what, David? What? I am not exactly a rocket scientist. (sighs) I am. Oh. Yes. Okay, so all of this made sense to you? Uh, No, none of it made sense to me, because (laughs) what they're doing is not jet propulsion. No, it wasn't. It is clearly a turbine engine. Uh, The scientist who stopped the experiment goes into the wind tunnel, and Roland starts the the Mach 15 wind blaster. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good name for it. And then fixes the whiteboard math. When the the dude says, we're going to break Mach 15, I immediately went, hang on a second. That doesn't seem right, especially if you're using uh, turbine engines. A wind turbine. So... I looked up to make sure I was getting my uh, facts correct. Well, you are the rocket scientist. I am, exactly. We all know that Chuck Yeager is the first person to break the speed of sound on uh, 6 November 1947. All of us do. In the Bell X-1 jet plane. Again, it's a jet, not a turbine engine plane. And Bell X-1, also the name of a great, fun band that has, like, real Talking Heads vibes. So if you're into that, look up Bell X-1. But the current airspeed record is held by the SR-71 Blackbird. Everybody knows that plane. It's the big, black, long one that looks badass, and it's I had the G.I. Joe version of it when I was a kid. Also, SR-71 is another band that's fun to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's also part of the name of uh, Grimes's kid. Is it? Yeah. I can't tell. So, I, I can't make any... I can't make heads or tails or words out of that jumble of nonsense. Right. But the record is 2,193.2 miles per hour, which is 2.86 Mach. Well, then how are they going to get to 15 Mach with a wind tunnel? They're not. What they're trying to do is literally impossible. Well, I don't know. Roland fixed the whiteboard math. Yeah, he did. He, he, he erased an entire equation, which was weird. Like, they weren't onto it at all. No. They were just on the wrong track entirely. I love it. But there Look, is... You need fresh eyes sometimes for that kind of stuff. True. But back to airspeed records. There is a pilot named Brian Shule who claims to have broken Mach 3.5 in an SR-71 Blackbird trying to evade a missile. Ooh. That is an unsubstantiated claim, but he does claim it. But that still is Mach 3.5 as a record. And they're, they're saying they're going to hit Mach 15. Don't you have to listen to military people when they tell you that they see, see and do crazy things out in the ocean? Uh, not and, me, because I'm a rocket scientist. Just thinking about the UFO people. I know. That seems fast. Very. I mean, all of it. All of it seems fast. <laughs> 3.5, 15, whatever. We have the scientist guy who is in the wind tunnel room, and Roland is sweeping up the floor inside that area. The other two guys who were in there originally have left, and um, the scientist guy gets sucked into the wind machine while Roland commences sweeping the floor. It's a great shot. Remember how he's pushing the broom in front of the window, and yeah. we just see the scientist fly by yeah, the yeah. window? It is a really good shot. Good job, David Nutter. Yes. But the dude's strategy of, I'm going to go near where the fans are and put my little fingers through the grates and hold on by my fingertips while this thing is going, you know, Mach 9 or whatever. Right. My fingertips are going to hold on to Mach 9. No. Terrible strategy, dude. Just terrible. Yes. Well, it didn't work out for him. No. And he's a rocket scientist, so he should know better. Not anymore. Now he's several rocket scientists. (laughs) Okay. So more trivia. Zach Handlin, writing for the AV Club, had mixed feelings about the episode, feeling that its plot was too similar to the previous episode, Born Again, though rating Ivanek's acting as authentic and uncontrived, ultimately calling the episode well-built enough to be enjoyable despite its familiarity. And I added that because I did think it was interesting that they put these back-to-back, the resurrection ones back-to-back. We've seen a couple of redos and similar types of themes. I mean, they have 24 episodes to get through a season. So it's not surprising that they'll re- rehash a couple of Premises. themes. Yeah. But back-to-back is strange, and I wonder why they chose to do that. I don't know. That was the opening scene because we definitely have to have somebody die. It's the X-Files formula. Now we are with Mulder and Scully. They're walking down a hallway leading to the wind tunnel control room. Apparently, Scully is back from a wedding because Mulder asks Scully if she caught the bouquet, and she says something coy, so maybe she caught the bouquet, like, probably. No idea whose wedding it is. No. We've never seen these people hang out with people outside of each other, with the exception of that one episode where dating didn't go well, and Scully's the, uh, what is she, the godparent to one of those children? Jersey Devil. Yes. That episode. That's it. They don't hang out with anybody ever. Whose wedding did she go to? I don't know. Why don't you know? I'm asking I don't you. Know. Hey, you ask me what ep- uh, what wedding Buffy Summers went to, I'll tell you every single one. But Dana Scully? I don't know. Well, Mulder explains the case, and Scully asks how it's an X-File, to which Mulder explains, there's something unexplainable here, Scully, but it's certainly not unidentifiable. What the hell does that mean? I don't know, but that's why I pulled the exact quote because it was like, how many negatives are in this sentence? (sighs) Yeah, I wrote down the exact quote as well because, huh? Now they're discussing how this wind tunnel experiment is top secret. It doesn't exist. So shh, hush, everybody. Uh, But it does. It's called the Icarus Project. Oh, is it? I did not catch that at all. That's a terrible name. Right? For a, fl- for a flight project. Yeah, it is. Dr. Keats, <laughs> I just wrote man. Man. <laughs> so Dr. Keats, uh, generic man, and the agents talk about 
how the door can only be closed or opened from the outside with a computer. So obviously he got stuck in there because there was, because somebody closed him in. Although anybody who's ever worked with computers for five minutes knows that anything can go wrong. So it could have been a computer glitch. Could have been. But there's a computer in the wind tunnel as well, which why? Which is a terrible design. Terrible design. Having it not be able to be opened from the inside is also a terrible design. Yes. This whole thing is horribly designed. Which is why they called it the Icarus Project, because it's going to fail. Okay, that makes a lot of sense now. Uh, so they're saying, how did he get stuck in the wind tunnel, etc. Mulder wanders away, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't go far, he just went over to the whiteboard. He's always leaving in the middle of people talking about the case. He's just like, I don't, I already know. So he just, he's really bad at paying attention during his job. Like, his isn't the FBI's job to pay attention to the details? I think the FBI's job is to squash any leftist movement in this country. Isn't the FBI's <laughs> job on TV okay. to pay attention to the details? <laughs> All right. TV FBI. You're Because you're right, yes. All right. So what does he get distracted by? None other but whiteboard math. Handwriting analysis. Yes. And he eyeballs it really well because I couldn't have picked that out. It all looked like scribbling to me. You couldn't tell that it was different? It all looked like scribbling to me. It was exaggerated. I was like, I can see that, Mulder. So I guess, you know what? Mulder and me, we're back in it, baby. Good job, you guys. <laughs> uh, do you want to be Mulder or... You be Mulder. I'll be Dr. Keats and Dr. Nolette. Ugh, because they both suck. All right, Mulder. And now for Cast Files Theater. You see, the handwriting here doesn't seem to match any of the other handwriting on the board. I'm Dr. Keats. It isn't mine. Checking the folder. What about Roland Fuller? Now I'm Dr. Nolette. <laughs> uh, Roland's the, uh, janitor. Well, according to the police report, he was the only other person here last night. Now I'm Dr. Keats again. Roland didn't do that. Now I'm Scully. How do you know? Still Dr. Keats. Let's just say Roland isn't exactly a rocket scientist. That was Cast Files Theater. And then I punch Dr. Keats in the dick. Yes, because most people in that room, Dr. Keats, aren't rocket scientists. You're literally working on a turbine engine, not a rocket. You know what? You are You're not currently not a, a rocket scientist. You're not a rocket scientist either. And if you don't know the difference between a rocket engine and a turbine engine, you don't belong in that room at all. Nope. So now we go to the Heritage Halfway House in Colson, Washington. Roland is licking and applying adhesive stars to a poster that has Tracy written on it. He pushes it across the table to Tracy. This is a lovely scene between Tracy and Roland. They're doing crafts at a table, generally enjoying each other's company. I thought it was very sweet and just calm. It just felt like a, it felt like a great Sunday afternoon. Yeah. The agents show up and ruin it. <laughs> Mrs. Stoddy asks Tracy to help her in the TV room, which she happily obliges, leaving Roland with the agents. Uh, they do a lame Rain Man scenario. And from the Autistic Empath website, I have a little bit from this. Mulder is the first to mention autism in connection with Roland, and he does so because Roland counted the stars on Scully's scarf at a glance. Six years post-Rain Man, that's still shorthand. Scully underscores it by saying that savants behave only as human calculators. They can't tell you the meaning of a number. Woof. Yeah. Scully has a lot of issues with ableism. She does. After a few questions, Roland has a flash of memory or foreshadowing. It's early, so we aren't 100% yet what this what is happening, and becomes agitated. Mrs. Stoddy calls to Roland, asking if he's okay. She asks the agents what they did to upset Roland. No one answers, but Mulder does steal Roland's art. No one says anything. Do you notice how no one says anything in the... Answer the lady! Well, Mulder did do one of these. Ugh. <laughs> Mulder. We'll come back to him. He's further in this episode. We see him again. Oh. <laughs> wow. This is the scene where you said, oh no, he's being controlled by aliens. And oh, I, did I? <laughs> yeah. And I wrote, he isn't. But I kept that in because that would have been great. We haven't had an alien episode in how long? It's been forever. It really has been. Yeah. 
So the Alien arc is really wildly spread out for a show that we are billed to believe is about aliens and cryptids. But we did get tombs. I'm assuming tombs is a cryptid. Yeah, episode 17. Jeez. Well, maybe next time. Uh, do you have anything to say about this particular scene? Uh, no, not this one. All right, so now we go to the FBI regional headquarters. We're in Seattle, Washington now. The agents go to speak to a handwriting analyst, so more handwriting. It's not Roland. I mean, it is. We saw him, but it's also not Roland. Uh, and Scully says it couldn't be because Roland's IQ is 70. Well, first and foremost, I miss Henderson. The- yes. The handwriting expert from earlier this season. The, the sexual innuendo, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I, I liked her. Setting, she was fun. Setting the young bucks on their rightful path. Hell yeah. <laughs> and second of all, sigh. Mentioning IQ. I can't remember. In 1994, were we still thinking that IQ was a real thing? Well, I have a bit about it because it's a real thing, but it's problematic so it's not a real thing well i'll get into it in a minute um anything besides iq for this because i'm going to go into the iq science corner here in a bit okay so back to the artistic the autistic empath roland is referred to as having an iq of 70 which was common for autistic people for a long time because it's very hard to test someone who is nonverbal or just unresponsive he obviously doesn't have some kind of cognitive impairment and he's said to be mentally challenged oh i'm sorry He obviously does have some kind of mental impairment, and he's said to be mentally challenged. That was very politically correct language in the 1990s, so good job, you you guys. You you guys isn't even correct. Y'all. There we go. (laughs) There's been some progress in IQ testing for nonverbal people since then that allows for a more accurate IQ score. All right, so now we go into the science corner. Science corner with Kristen. The problem with IQ scores. So I pulled two separate things and there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be discerned from this. There's a lot of content around this, studies, papers, science, everything. But I didn't want to just make this whole episode about IQ scores because it's a departure. But because they did bring it up, one source I have is from Discover Magazine, Do IQ Tests Actually Measure Intelligence by Allison Witten, She published this on July 1st, 2020. And so here's just an excerpt from that article. IQ tests are a tool and they can be used to promote human well-being or to contribute to human misery, says Stefan C. Dombrowski, a psychologist at Ryder University in New Jersey. IQ tests have a dark history of being used to discriminate against racial and ethnic groups and ultimately led to the forced sterilization of thousands of people during the eugenics movement. Dombrowski studies the validity of IQ tests using vigorous statistical techniques. He says IQ tests have meaning and are valid measures of intelligence when they are interpreted correctly. So there's a lot of room for error here. In the field of psychology, we do not have, like we have in medicine, safeguards in place like an FDA. We have an ethical code, but that hasn't stopped a hundred years of inappropriate interpretive practices. Our field needs to evolve. And I mention that because Mulder is in this field and he has a lot of evolving to do with his everything. All right. So then from a paper out of the National Institutes of Health, The intelligence quotient tests and the corresponding psychometric explanations dominate both the scientific and popular views of human intelligence. Though the IQ tests have been in currency for long, there exists a gap in what they are believed to measure and what they do. While the IQ tests index the quality of cognitive functioning in selected domains of mental repertoire, the applied settings often inflate their predictive value leading to an interpretive gap which means they're, they're specifically testing specific cognitive functions, not an overall ability of a person. So having a high IQ does not mean necessarily that you are the greatest person. You probably suck, but... Um, you also probably took the exact right IQ test. Yes. The present article... In that I pulled this from, contends that studying the influence of motivational and effective processes on cognitive functioning would help to evolve a more psychologically comprehensive account of the IQ tests and bridge the interpretive gap. 
To conclude, the article suggests possible future research directions that could strengthen the predictive value of IQ tests. In this article, they also talk about how motivation and coaching can improve your test taking ability and your scores. So if you are inclined to take this test, you will score higher than if you are less excited about taking the test. Also, certain things like, do you understand how to take a standardized test? Mm -hmm. Do you know those tips and tricks? Because people of the same cognitive ability taking the test will get wildly different scores if one person knows the tricks and the, the elements of a standardized test versus another person being unfamiliar with it. That can skew the results. So really, there's not a lot that the IQ test can tell us just simply by taking an IQ test. No, because there are so many different things that can change your IQ score. Your IQ is not a static thing. Your right. IQ, you can change it by studying for the test. Yes. Depending on what mood you're in, which makes it complete bunk, totally. Well, yes, it makes it, it puts it in the same. So this guy's trying to justify using IQ for stuff. He's saying, yes, it's flawed, but it has its merits. And if you buy my book about it, Nobody's selling a book. No, not in that article yet, but that's how he comes across. Well, these are two different articles, so whoever wrote this was a different person than the other thing. That's fine. Okay. But if something is that deeply flawed fundamentally, justifying it in any way is it, you're, you have an agenda. It's like, it's like chiropractic. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Anybody who's justifying chiropractic is a chiropractor or somebody who believes chiropractic is helping them. If you guys don't know about the origins of chiropractic... Oh, look it up. There's a great dollop about it. Yes. Go listen to that dollop. Yes. Super fun. Oh, and a Behind the Bastards. And you know what? Perfect for spooky season. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there. Are you looking for your new favorite true crime podcast? Well, I'm Kita. And I'm Sally. And we are the co-hosts of Homicide Worldwide Podcast. We are two human females who like to talk about murder. Every week we get together and we talk about the details, the psychology, and of course, some good smack talk. Join us every Friday for a new episode of Homicide Worldwide. All right, back to the X-Files. We are in the Mayhem Propulsion Laboratory, building 214. I'm just going to read what happens in this scene because it's... Uh, I pulled this from the X-Files archive site that I reference a lot because they're doing some great work. Keats is working in the laboratory. He is listening to music through headphones as he sits at a terminal. The door to the lab opens and Roland enters. He sneaks up on Keats from behind and smashes his coffee cup over his head. He then drags the unconscious Keats over to a large container of liquid nitrogen and takes off the lid. Wearing cryogenic gloves, he grabs Keats and tries to put his head down into the liquid nitrogen. Keats revives and struggles, but Roland grabs his hair and forces his head down into it. Seconds later, he lifts his frozen head out of the container and throws his body to the side. There is a shattering noise as Roland walks away. There are pieces of Keats's head on the floor. Roland steps on what looks like an ear, and there is sound of typing on a keyboard. I can't tell if this would be a horrible way to go, or pretty quick. Your nerves would just be frozen so fast. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be that painful for that long. I don't know. Either way, the quote-unquote tape outline of the body is fantastic. Yes, I get to that in the next scene, because there's a little bit more in this. So again, from the autistic empath. Just to address the pink elephant in this episode, I don't know why she chose pink. This story does perpetuate the dangerous, she uses the R word and I'm not going to say it, idea that was prevalent in pop culture of the time. I really think it's still prevalent. I don't know why. The dangerous. Oh, that's in quotes. That's why I didn't understand what you were talking about. Quote, the quote, dangerous R word. Yeah. Okay. Idea that was prevalent in pop culture of the time. Roland is shown to be very strong and brutal when he kills. Even the fact that he's not in control when he hurts people just plays into the, quote, out-of-control crazy person, unquote, idea. The 1990s were not a great time for people with disabilities. This blew my mind. The Americans with Disabilities Act only passed in 1990. That's so dumb. Why does it take so long to do anything? Uh, and the general public was still learning 
how to not freak out at the sight of someone in a wheelchair or the thought of someone with a cognitive difference. We've come a long way, believe it or not. I believe it, because I, I remember what the 90s was like. <sighs> Everybody was smoking inside. Next scene, Scully and Mulder are at the scene of Keats's murder, so they show up at the cryo lab. On the floor is the usual outline of the body, except there is no head. There are a couple of dozen X's around the body, as well as outlines of several larger pieces. A policeman detective and police photographer are also there, and I laughed so hard at this reveal. The body outline with all the X marks sprinkled <laughs> around. <laughs> it's really good. It was so good. I don't have anything else about that specific scene. Do you? Because next we go to see Roland. I was laughing too hard. <laughs> they sit, they get on the computer and they look at it to see that Arthur has mm. got on there and done five hours worth of work. And they figure out, uh, Scully says they can't get in because they don't know the password. Right. Mulder hands Scully the stolen artwork from Roland. Right. And his face acting there is really good because it's, Almost like he hopes it's not the password. And you can see it in his ah. face. So Duchovny did a great job with that. Good job. Conveying Duchovny. that. And then it was the password. And he's kind of like, well, <sighs> I got that from Roland. <laughs> Which is why they Thank now you. go to see Roland. So the agents go to see Roland. Roland is sleeping and we see a flashback to a twin? Question mark, question mark. One of them being taken away, question mark. It's a weird, not the same type of flashback as we saw before when he was actually flashing forward to how he was going to murder people. Um, this is more of a dream sequence and also a flashback to fill in gaps for us. So now we know that there's a twin. There's two of them. And these little boys are just freaking adorable with their... Um, Big old ears. <laughs> yes, and their uh, the tasseled... A cowboy yes <laughs> cowboy jacket they were so cute super cute <laughs> so they wake up roland and he's up, he's about to get dressed the women leave the room and Mulder is in there talking to roland while he's changing because roland ended up sleeping in his uniform because he was up working all night yes and mrs Dottie asks him roland why did you sleep in your clothes and he didn't really answer but he selects the clothes that he wants and he's getting, he's just changing his overshirt while Mulder is talking to him. And Mulder's saying a bunch of cuckoo bananas stuff. And he just picks out a shirt and says, this one be styling. No, I mean, after that, after the ladies leave. Oh. That's when he's like, so, blah, 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 Arthur. When was the last time you talked to Arthur? Do you know him? And Roland says, Arthur's dead. And yeah, people die. They go away. And they're not supposed to come ah! back. What? <laughs> no! Don't say that. It was nice and creepy. It was. It was real good. It was. It was really good, too, because he knows. The acting here is really good because Roland, it's obvious that Roland knows this isn't supposed to be happening, but he doesn't know what to do about it because no one would know what to do <laughs> right. about it. But he's kind of revealing that, yeah, he knows more than he's been letting on about this. Mm -hmm. So it was it was a really good scene. So then Mulder and Scully go off to talk more about Roland and Dr. Grable. Dr. Grable is Arthur. And they discover that both are from Seattle. And then they discover that both have the same birth date. And then they discover <laughs> that they are both the same person. Or are they? I discovered that they're both just a couple months older than my dad. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they talk about, um, they, they explain twins and what identical twins are. <laughs> I was like, thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah. And then they explain why Roland would have some cognitive differences than Arthur. Something about possibly damaging a chromosome because Arthur's chromosomes yeah, attacked him. Or... I wasn't sure if that was an accurate thing to say or not. I wasn't either. But... The, the beginning part about the egg and the sperm and the splitting and all of that was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they were talking about how basically how violent Arthur's cluster of cells were <laughs> to, to Roland's cluster of cells. And that's when we were like, um, question mark? <laughs> Back at the house, Roland and Tracy are talking. Oh, but first before we leave, Mulder actually has a reasonable theory here. Okay. That Arthur Grable isn't dead. He faked his death. And yes. And is continuing his work. And making it look like Roland's doing it. And I'm like, well, you're not right, but good job of having a reasonable theory, Mulder. You right. didn't just jump way ahead. 
and know exactly what was happening, even though it's weird. Spooky. Spooky Mulder. <laughs> yep. You're right. He did have a reasonable explanation, and it was kind of refreshing. It was nice. <laughs> it doesn't last. I enjoyed it <laughs> while, while it lasted. So now we're back at the house, and Roland and Tracy are talking. Tracy is asking about dreams because Roland asks something like, don't you wish you could fly? Yeah. And she says, I can fly. In my dreams. In my dreams. And this is where we find out that Tracy's from Minnesota. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Her accent comes out. And she describes a beautiful dream that she has about her and Roland living together. Being married. Yes. And she asks Arthur, not Arthur, she asks Roland if he has similar dreams. And, and he's like, hmm. Because <laughs> he's having bad dreams. Right. And then she asks, who is Arthur? And that's when... Arthur sends him a vision. Yes. And a it, bad it, one. It's not good. And so Arthur flashes his intention to Roland about strangling Tracy to death. And Roland fights him. And then he and Roland runs upstairs to make sure that he doesn't hurt Tracy. He did grab her, I think. No, he, he shoved her, her out of the way. He pushed her. Okay. And he locks himself in his room. In, no, he locks himself in the bathroom. Tracy is obviously upset, and she apologizes for upsetting Roland and just wants him to come out. She's on the outside of the door crying. He's on the inside tr- also crying. Every It's it's a lot. It's The scene is heartbreaking. <laughs> Arthur sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I he does. do not like Arthur. These two were just crafting and talking about dreams and having a fine day, and Arthur has to go and ruin it. So Roland is crying and trying to keep himself, his body, away from Tracy because he doesn't want to hurt her. And as she's apologizing through the door and saying, let's just just come out, just come out, because she's trying to fix the situation, Roland says, go away, I don't want to hurt you. Ugh. And it's got to be terrifying to have your body feel like your body's not your own. Yeah, I imagine so. Oh, heartbreaking. So next we are with Mulder and Scully in Nolet's office. Mulder points to a photo showing some hippie students in, his, in an office. There's a Volkswagen behind them. They have a discussion, but the gist of this discussion is that Arthur was an asshole. Oh, wait. How do they describe it? He was on top of all his brilliance. He had a genius for executing elaborate schemes. Yeah, he was a prankster, and I don't see why that makes him an a-hole. He's an asshole. I don't think so. You don't think Arthur's an asshole? Okay, I do at this point. I didn't before that. Before he died, yeah, being good at pranks doesn't make you an a-hole. Who do you know who does pranks? Who do I know? Period. (laughs) I don't know anybody anymore. Well, that's why you don't know that people who do pranks are generally (laughs) a-holes. You know what I would like to do? Cause you major discomfort. Mental, physical, psychological. Well, if you're good at pranks, you don't do that. So I can laugh at you. They just caused that guy to lose days and days of having his vehicle. And they probably put it together wrong. You know what? That's funny, though. Is it? Yeah. Oh, are you an a-hole, too? No, I am a saint. Hmm. I am... Okay, I'm borderline a saint. My paperwork has not gone through yet. Because you're still alive? Well, no, they're going to make me a living saint. Oh! Once all the credentials are in. They were planning on making Mother Teresa a saint, and then all that stuff came out about her. All that stuff was old. Old news, though. But nobody was listening when she was alive. Of course not. So what's going to come out about you? That I am the best at everything, and anyone who's better is either supernatural or cheating. So... And right there, that makes me a saint. I don't think that's the criteria. It's... (laughs) It sure is. It's the criteria for super religion. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I didn't say what religion I'm going to be a saint of. (sighs) So basically the paperwork is just your paperwork for you to do and file and come up with? Yeah, why do you think it hasn't been done yet? No, it all is clear now. (laughs) Now we go to the Avalon Foundation. This is just an... That's all I have to say about this scene. It isn't. I have actual stuff to say about this scene. Okay, so the Avalon Foundation is the at the Washington Institute of Technology in Colson, Washington. So the same place where the wind turbine was. We find out that they froze Arthur's head. Remember when everybody said that Walt Disney's head was cryogenically frozen under Disneyland? Yeah, but you know that Ted Williams' head really is frozen somewhere? I don't know who Ted Williams is. Oh, well, you should. It's Do- very important. Mm-hmm. 
So, in order to keep heads <laughs> cryogenically frozen in this world, you need to keep the temperature at negative 320. So that's the science. But we find out that Arthur's head has been fluctuating between negative 320 and negative 319. And Mulder, because Mulder is super brilliant and knows everything that's going on all the time, asks if it could be caused by brain function happening within the cryogenically frozen head of Arthur. The scientist guy who's talking to him basically looks at him like, you're joking, right? <laughs> Did you hold on to those drugs from Darkness Falls? Is that what's going on here? Yes. The next scene is where they use computers to generate a person's face. They discover Arthur and Roland are twins, and we are not shocked. But it is fun to see that someone else is using the Draw Criminal program from the last episode. And uh, there's no glitch, but... And also no funny mustaches. Nope. They just take it all off. You ever take a few pounds, that's Roland. Yep. Back at the house, Mulder talks to Roland about dreams. Roland doesn't want to talk about his dreams because he can't. And then he says that he hit Tracy, and Mulder asks if his dreams made him hit Tracy. This is when Mulder has a great idea about using an electronic toy to show Roland that Roland is being controlled. An electronic UFO. It is, a, you're right. So Roland is controlling this UFO, showing Mulder how it works. And when Mulder says, this is what's happening to you, Roland handles it well, honestly, yeah. <laughs> and just says, but who's controlling me? <laughs> and I would have been like, you loser, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, this might be the first scene where Mulder's shown compassion towards another human being. Oh, just wait. Seconds later, <laughs> Mulder, Mulder's standing there talking and... Roland has a flash and runs out of the room in a panic because of something else that Mulder said. And uh, he and his soft skills need some work. He does show some compassion or at least some neutrality <laughs> in this world. And then he just goes and screws it up. Um, Roland locks himself in the bathroom again and eventually jumps out the window, cutting himself on the glass shards. That's when everyone in the house runs around looking for him. Mulder goes outside to follow him. Tracy and Mrs. Stody are are looking for him. It's a it's a pretty intense scene. Obviously, Roland's not doing well. I don't know how he managed to break the. There's like not bars, but some sort of reinforcement on the window that he just mangles. Yeah. I think it's that dangerous R word trope. We go to the Mayhem Propulsion Laboratory. You remember what happens in this scene? Uh, what's his face? The last living doctor. Yep is oh uh roland is typing on the computer oh do you not <laughs> you don't have anything written down here okay so it's mm -hmm. time for a dave reed recap yes i stopped all right roland is typing on the computer and now i am no longer a rocket scientist i was stripped of my credentials during the podcast oh. really unfortunate it's slanderous and i don't want to get into it right now oh okay <laughs> something about when i was eight years old and i no. deny it <laughs> <laughs> vehemently deny the allegations. Someone knocked on our door and all of this <laughs> happened without me noticing. So, so he's, I'm no longer a rocket scientist, but I don't know how typing on a computer makes a turbine engine go faster, but somehow it does. Yes. And then the last living guy. I think it's Nolette. Nolette comes in with what's obviously a prop gun because he's waving it around like it weighs like half an ounce. And he says, I know it's you, Arthur, and I'm going to kill you. And Arthur's like, it's my work. You can't take my work from me. He's very angry about this. Like, what was he going to do? He's dead. He's not going to... Nolette makes that point in a threatening way, but makes right. the point of, it wasn't doing you any good. We can still, like, make a scientific breakthrough here. But he does it in a crappy way. Right. He threatens Arthur Roland and then sits down at the computer with his back to him because he's a rocket scientist and yes. has no survival skills. Right. <laughs> and he gets, so Roland grabs a keyboard clocks him over the head with it and then we don't see him but apparently he drags him into the wind tunnel room yeah and locks it and starts the engine up so he goes over to the mesh screen like the other guy to barely put his fingertips yes. in to hold against Mach 15 which he's broken Mach 15 now yep so that's one of the goofs on IMDb oh really is how he's sticking his fingers just barely barely in the... yeah <laughs> for some reason there's no oh Mulder and Scully come in they're like Roland you have to help us stop it he's gonna die if you don't help us stop it there's no big red button anywhere. No. There would absolutely have to be a big red button yeah. 
somewhere in there. OSHA maybe doesn't do top secret stuff. <laughs> They're not allowed in top secret areas. I guess that would make sense. But, but somebody would say, hey, we should put a big red stop button in here somewhere. Right? It just seems like the most reasonable thing to do. Yeah. And then Roland somehow remembers how to turn it off. Right. Turns it off. And that's unclear. It's very unclear. Because it's right as the the cryogenic container holding Arthur's head drops below 150, which is the death of the head in this universe. Because in real life, that head's already dead. Yes. (laughs) But it drops below 150, which we also hear a heartbeat monitor go flatline as the severed head... (laughs) about that you're right (laughs) it dies so that severed head no longer has a heartbeat that's unfortunate (laughs) yep oh man and then we see back at the home roland has to go away and they're talking to mrs dotty mrs dotty the Mulder's saying uh we're recommending that he come back here as soon as possible they have to you know find out why he's murdering a bunch of people but we're going to recommend that he comes back as, as soon as possible. Tracy goes to Roland and says, please stay, please don't go. And he's like, well, I have to. And then as he's walking away, he gives her his stars. Oh, it's so heartwarming because it's his most prized possession. Mm-hmm. They've made it very, very apparent that stars are Roland's favorite thing. Yep. And by giving his stars to Tracy, he's he's basically saying, you are also my favorite thing. Yep. Oh. So sweet. And she says, I love you. And he says, me too, which is an odd thing to say, but okay. It's allowed. I love me too. (laughs) (laughs) Who is he? Me? (laughs) Yes, that's why I was like, this is fine. (laughs) So, and then he goes to brush his hair. Oh, yeah. And as he's brushing his hair, he looks in, this is the, because we've mentioned at the beginning, he's not making eye contact as Roland with people. So we've gotten used to, to that mannerism. And he's in the mirror and he's not looking at it. He's not making eye contact with himself either. And he's brushing, brushing, brushing. And then he slows and lifts his head and makes eye contact with himself in the mirror, which leads me to believe that Arthur's still in there somewhere. But that doesn't make sense because Arthur was never actually in there. He was just remotely psychically controlling it. I know. It's hard. It's All of it's hard. <sighs> yeah. But... Okay, so we know Roland didn't do, his his body physically did this stuff, but Roland was not in control. They made that very clear. So he was being controlled psychically. Right. By a dead, severed head. <laughs> yes. That was not only dead and severed, but also cryogenically frozen. Right. So there shouldn't be any cell movements in that head. Not at all. Not even one degree of temperature. <laughs> Negative 320 degrees of temperature. Right. No, it was negative 320, and then mm-hmm. it was going to 319. So he was heating oh. it up by one degree, gotcha. okay. one degree of temperature. And that's basically it. Yeah. So how did you feel about this? Uh, I'm all over the place on this one. I don't think I hate it. I, I definitely don't, don't hate it. I don't either. I think I mentioned earlier that the characters of Roland and Tracy seem to be treated with respect. Yes. So that's definitely a bonus. Yes. And before the second viewing, I decided I'm going to accept that fantasy and magic are part of this universe. And that actually helped quite a bit. That that helped me accept that it's a psychic taking over of a person. Because it's a twin, I guess. The evil twin scenario is also... Yeah. And just the science of cryogenics or, you know, the scam of cryogenics... (laughs) is a little bit of a hang-up. Even though I love those movies where somebody gets cryogenically frozen and then wakes up later. Those movies are a lot of fun. Right. But you gotta... (laughs) You suspend your disbelief because that's the world that they're showing us. Right. I don't know why I keep wanting to make the world of the X-Files realistic. More real than it actually is? Yeah. I do too. And that's where I'm getting hung up with ghosts and things. Even though I know I just talked about a phantom. Right. (laughs) (laughs) but a phantom is not a ghost it's a different thing okay all right i have a whole catalog of the differences we're gonna have to publish your paper your dissertation i know i'll have to untangle it all i don't know why they're different for me but they are i didn't dislike this episode i think with knowing going in knowing that it was one of the weakest scripts of the entire season knowing that 
then they did a great job. Yes, I agree. And I think it was really good that the actor who played Roland, I think his performance was really good. Like everybody said, when we saw him do this, we knew that he was going, we had to use him because he was the, he was the only one who could do this is basically what it came down to. And I, and I liked him and I liked Roland and I hated Arthur. So good job. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope Arthur is gone forever, even though it doesn't look like he is so that Roland can go back and have craft time with Tracy and they can talk about dreams and, and do, you know, whatever they feel like doing together or apart. They seem like they had a good life. Till Arthur came and screwed it all up. Oh, and one thing that I didn't mention in this that I do want to mention before we wrap this up completely is Arthur died in a car accident Mm -hmm. that looked like, I don't want to blame him because I don't know what happened in the car, but it looked like a car accident, not someone murdered him. Yeah. Okay. So why is he so angry at the other scientists? Yes. It does not make sense. Just because they continued the work they were all doing? Right. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. He starts, after him, he starts picking off the other scientists. For no real reason. Like, they didn't murder him. That's, that was the biggest hang-up for me, in addition to the magic part. But looking at that picture, it looked like he had a terrible, deadly car accident. There was no indication that it was sabotage. Right. There's no indication that anybody had it out for him and even was secretly hoping he would get into yeah. a car accident. They probably had their disagreements because this seems like a high-stress environment. Yeah, the one guy shut the thing down at the very beginning. Right. But he died in a horrible way that was not any of these other people's fault. And then he comes back... Murderous. Murderous. He doesn't have any good motivation to be murderous. No. I agree. I don't like that. I think if he did... I might have liked the... I didn't dislike the episode, but I might have liked the premise better. Yeah, uh, they could have just written a real quick scene where it looked like sabotage. Right. And then I would have been like, ah. But also it wouldn't make sense for them to sabotage him if he was the smartest one with the best capabilities of getting the thing done. It really doesn't. So I have some notes. Yeah. All right. Who are you shipping? I'm going first because I think we have the same answer. I think it's obvious who everybody is shipping. Roland and Tracy. Yes. Absolutely. Roland minus Arthur's control. Yeah. Plus Tracy. (laughs) How are you surviving? Well, I'm not a rocket scientist, but... Okay. I am... If I was a rocket scientist on this program, I am surviving by insisting we put an emergency stop button. (laughs) Big red button somewhere? Two things. An emergency big red button somewhere easy to reach. Maybe even inside the turbine... Have two, have one inside and one outside. You can't have one inside because that hurts the aerodynamics. But you could have, you know, when you go get on a jet ski, you have like the clip thing on your wrist. Mm -hmm. And if you fall off the jet ski, it turns off the thing. Do a clip thing that of you. So if you're inside the wind tunnel, nobody can shut the door while you're inside there. I like that. Okay. Yes. So definitely some way to turn it off while you're inside. So you're right. That would make the aerodynamics situation okay. The other thing that I would modify prior to even getting to this point would be not having those computers inside the wind turbine because what is the point? Just have them on the other wall accessible on the outside. Yeah. There's no reason for them to be accessible only on the inside. Did not make any sense. So I'm changing the structure of this whole layout in order for me to survive. How are you surviving? All right. I am, when they shut me in, because we didn't put the big red button anywhere yet, I'm not going to the opposite wall (laughs) and clinging with my fingertips to this grate. I'm standing next to the wind turbine and like kind of bracing my, because it's got that like lip thing. Yep. So it's got a protrusion right there. I'm getting right next to it, flattening myself out as much as I can and try to brace myself. Up against the little bubble part. So hopefully though It might not work, but it's a much better strategy than uh, fingertips. Yeah. And get as much drag on my body as possible. Right, right. Where can I go to be the least likely to survive? Right. <laughs> All right. 23 episodes. That's right. We're we almost have, there. We have now lasted longer than, because nobody got canceled at 23 episodes, <laughs> The Powers of Matthew Starr. The adventures of a high school student, Matthew Starr, who was actually a super-powered alien prince from another world. Starring this Donny Osmond-looking dude named Peter Barton. 
and Louis Gossett Jr. Huh. Known for most people as Iron Eagle. All right. We, they probably have more aliens in that show than we do. In Iron Eagle? Mm-mm. Oh, Matthew Starr? Yeah. They have at least one. Matthew Starr. <laughs> the Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a T Public store. You can go buy t shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Atuka Art. That's O O K A R T. 